scripture reading this morning before the lesson is the fifth chapter of James, starting at verse 16. In the pew, in the in the Bible, in the pew in front of you is page 1013, 1013. James 5, 16 through 18. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain in the, on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Good morning to everybody. Glad that you're here this morning. We've got a number of visitors with us, and we're especially glad that you've come to worship God with us together this morning. Thank you for your presence. It's been a good week with our gospel meeting with Brother Alan Webster this past week. I know that um, I know that a lot of participation happened from uh, area congregations, and also a number of visitors from our community uh, came to be with us during that meeting. And we're going to continue to pray that God will bring forth fruit from the efforts that we've involved ourselves in this past week. I have a challenge for you. This is the mini sermon before the sermon, okay? So just bear with me for just a minute, okay? The challenge is this. From now until the end of the year, we're going to try something together as a congregation. It's called Take Five. Take five minutes. And the idea is this. I want to challenge everybody to spend five minutes at each service that you attend investing and talking to someone that you wouldn't ordinarily invest in or talk to. Okay, five minutes, it's all we're asking. You can do this before services. Some of you get here really early. We can do it after services. Some of you stay really long after services. You may choose to stay for a family circle meal. That would be a good opportunity to do something like this, but take five minutes out of your day because one of the reasons why we come together, the Bible teaches in Hebrews 10, 25, is to edify one another, to build up one another. And so with this in mind, the idea is meet someone new. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but just think, just think, how many people are new here just since the COVID-19 lockdowns and all that started? We have a number of families, a number of individuals who've come to be with us. Many have obeyed the gospel just since a year and a half ago. And while a lot of focus has been on people who have, who have not been able to return because of health reasons and things like that, there ought to be a lot of focus as well on building new relationships. So meet someone new. Maybe, just maybe, I know this is close to heresy, but I don't want to maybe sit in a new place at services just every once in a while. And, and please, I know you've sat in that seat for years and years and years, but it's still, please, please don't, don't throw tomatoes at me. It doesn't belong to you. <laughs> and if somebody happens to be sitting in your particular seat at a given service, just thank God that somebody is trying to take five minutes and meet somebody new. Can you do that for me? I appreciate the, appreciate the sentiment. 
maybe just have one five-minute conversation. Some of us are kind of introverts and you know, just walking up to somebody new and talking to somebody is not really our cup of tea. But I'll tell you something, if you'll sit in a different place, a lot of times, maybe even in a Bible class, if you'll sit in a different place and you're sitting next to somebody, just strike up a conversation with that person. I talk to people all the time and I'll, I'll tell you, I see connections all the time because I know what you do for a living and I know what somebody over here does for a living and you guys have the same job, you have the same interest, you have the same, uh, you're from the same places, but you don't know that. You haven't seen those connections. So have a five minute conversation with somebody new, or maybe do it this way, five one minute conversations. Or if you really like math, 10 30 second conversations with new people, different people. And what we're asking you for again is just this, spend time intentionally, consciously investing in areas and people that you don't normally invest in. That's all we're asking. It gets really comfortable to come and sit in the same place and talk to the same people. And that's natural. That's normal. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But the church is at its best when it's in the blender on puree. Okay. Just think about it from that perspective. If you ever make those morning breakfast shakes and you're blending your breakfast shake, you don't want it to be chunky when it's done. You want to blend it, blend it, blend it until it's just equal throughout. And the church is at its best when we put the church in a blender. We're not stratified by age groups or by interest groups or by anything. We are blended together as the family and the people of God. And that's what this is aimed at. Oh, one more thing. Name amnesty is back, okay? If you remember that from a couple of years ago. Name amnesty, I think we did this in 2018. It's been about three years. But name amnesty means that you, I now give you the right to ask anybody in this room their name. You can walk up to anybody and you can say, would you please share your name with me? And if you ask multiple times, that's still okay. And you and I, okay, we're going to make this commitment to each other. I'm not going to get offended if you ask me my name more than once. Okay? And you don't get offended if somebody sits in your seat or if somebody asks you your name more than once. And especially, I know there are people that have been here for years and decades. Guess what? You probably don't know everybody in this room And I'll guarantee you, not everybody in this room knows you. Even though you've been here for 40, 50 years, not everybody knows your name. And so don't get offended if somebody comes up and says, hey, would you mind sharing your name with me? Because to know somebody's name is to love them. Think about it. God knows your name. He loves you. And to know somebody else's name is to genuinely love them. And so name amnesty means that you can ask me my name if you want to, and I'll share my name with you. No, no ugliness, no silliness, I'll give you my name if you like. And I may ask some of you your name just to see if you're willing to share with me what your name is. We're gonna do that for the rest of the year, okay? Take five, five minutes to get to know people better than we do right now. Sound good? Everybody with me? Okay, I see no confusion, see it come, some, some looks. I'm not, I'm not sure about you, John, but that's okay. I get that a lot. This is something that's good for the people of God. It's something that's good for the church. 
One last thing, by the way, live stream. Every Sunday morning especially, we have about 100 to 120 screens out there in cyberspace that are watching our services. We love you, people that are still on live stream. We know that there are a number of health issues that people have, concerns that they have about being in a large crowd like this. Understand that. You can participate in this as well. Because one of the things that we have at our advantage is you can text people, you can email people, you can write a snail mail letter to people. There's also this thing called the phone. We can pick up the phone and call people and check on somebody. So if you feel kind of isolated, if you feel like, you know, maybe people have forgotten about me, a couple of things to think about. Who, who am I calling? Who am I investing in? And also another thing to think about is, you know, this has been dragging on for so many months and such a long period of time. And people were checking on each other a lot initially, early on in the pandemic. People were calling all the time and checking all the time. And it got to a point where you'd call somebody and check on them and they'd say, you know what, we're fine. We're just trying to be safe. We're just trying to, you know, our doctor has said we can't, you know, and and those kinds of things. And so it becomes kind of an assumption. Well, every time I check on this person, they say they're fine. So I'm just going to assume they're fine until I hear otherwise. And even then, sometimes those connections and those bonds that we have as the people of God, those kind of drift apart. Let's not let that happen. So I challenge you, if you're watching on live stream, we love you, we miss you, but we'd love to reconnect. And let's use this opportunity to do that. Just five minutes out of your Sunday to do something like this. All right, I told you that was the mini sermon before the sermon. Now, if you would, open your Bibles to James 5, 16, if you haven't already done so. And we're going to talk about the power of prayer this morning. I want to preface this by saying that if you take notes, this is one of those sermons where I don't want you to try to write everything on the screen. Just write the scripture references because it's going to come fast and furious, okay? Just write the scripture references, you know, James 5, 16 through 18 would be a good one to put down. But we need to spend time as the people of God And I don't know if you've noticed the songs that we've sung this morning, they're all about prayer. And most of the songs have lines like this, when your life is dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Oh, how praying rests the weary. God is a God who listens to and responds to and is moved by the prayers of his people. And James 5.16 is a testament to that. It says, confess your faults one to another, And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. There is power, brothers and sisters and friends, in prayer. And maybe one of the questions we should ask, what does my prayer life say about my faith in God? Years ago, I read a biography of Jackie Robinson, the famous baseball player. Jackie Robinson's mother was a religious woman. And Jackie said that of all his memories, his main memory of his mother was that she prayed almost incessantly. And when somebody would ask her, why do you pray so much? She said this, prayer is believing. 
Think about that. That was her concept, but it's not a bad one. Prayer is believing. The fact that I pray means that I know there's a God who hears me, and I believe that God will listen to and answer the prayers of my lips. The Bible affirms that sentiment. James 5, 16 through 18. Jesus taught his disciples that they ought always to pray and never to lose heart. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. With those things in mind, what I'd like to do is share with you this morning five helpful concepts about prayer and its power. Concept number one is this, Christians can pray. God has said that Christians are to come to him as a loving father and they are to offer their prayers and petitions to him. But what about those who are living in rebellion to God? What about those who have not yet become Christians and they really have no interest in serving or honoring God? Think about this. The Bible has passages like John 9, 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Now that was a statement that may not be 100% accurate from a man who was blind and now he sees. But watch this. There are passages that he based that concept on in books like Proverbs chapter 28, verse nine. If one turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Let me say it this way. If you decide with your life that you're gonna live in rebellion to God, if you decide that you don't care what the scriptures teach and you don't care what Jesus did for you, you're gonna live your way. Don't expect that you can come and offer petitions and prayers to God and that he's going to be inclined to answer. That's the idea here. Proverbs chapter one, verse 28, speaking of wisdom, it says, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. The same principle, the same idea can be applied to prayer. Samuel, excuse me, Saul, the king of Israel said this in 1 Samuel 28, verse 15. Samuel says to Saul, he was, he, he was, he was really um, coming back from the grave, Samuel was. And he says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Why have you called to me, Samuel says. And Saul answers, and listen to what, he, what Saul says. He's upset. Saul has rebelled against God, and now he says, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me, and, my answers, and he answers me no more, not, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you, Samuel, to tell me what I shall do. Saul was terrified. He was bereft that God was not listening to him anymore and God was not responding to him anymore. The horrors of hell, when you think about scripture and what it teaches about hell, one of the most tragic things about hell is that it is a place where people call upon God and he does not answer. He does not listen. Christians can pray. Not everybody can not everybody is heard by God. The scripture is very clear about that. But the Bible says this to you as a Christian in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That passage does not demand that you live a perfect sinless life. That's not what it's saying. It is saying though, that you have an interest in the commandments of God, that that's what you're all about, that's where your passion and your heart are, and that's what you really wanna be. And your life shows that. I want to serve Jesus Christ. I want to keep his commandments. 
then we have this promise. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. John 15, 7, Jesus says this, if you abide in me, there's the condition, and my words abide in you, there's the condition. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Again, Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, can pray. In 1 John 5, 14, John writes, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God has designed prayer in such a way that people who are his, his children, those who belong to Christ, those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we can offer our prayers and our petitions and our desires before him. And God has said, I will hear you. I want to hear you. I long to hear from you. Those of you who are parents, we've used this illustration before. Doesn't it feel good when your kids, especially as they get a little bit older, doesn't it feel good when your kids want to have a conversation with you? And not just a hi, how you're doing kind of conversation, a kind of conversation about things that are important, things that are on their hearts, things that matter to them and things that matter to you. Doesn't it feel good to have that kind of conversation with your children? So much the more with our Father in heaven. He wants to hear from us. Christians can pray. Secondly, this morning, Christians, the Bible teaches, can pray for themselves and for others. There is a nasty little idea out there that some people have that if I pray anything for myself that I'm praying selfishly. And the Bible does indeed warn us against selfish prayers in James 4 verses 1 through 4. But listen to me, there are plenty of righteous people in the Bible who prayed and asked things for themselves, and you are not wrong to do that in your own life. There are things you need, there are things I need, and we ought to pray about those things for ourselves. Consider, Hezekiah the king prayed that he might not lose his life, and he lived on for another 15 years. Second Kings chapter 20, verse 1, God heard his prayer for himself and answered it. Hannah, who was without children, prayed that God would open her womb, and the Bible says that God heard her prayer and answered her. Even our Lord Jesus himself, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. There were times when Jesus prayed for his disciples. There were times when Jesus prayed for others. But there were times when Jesus, our Savior, prayed about his own concerns, about his own desires. And sometimes in our lives, we ought to stop and think about these words, you do not have because you do not ask. James 4 verse 2. I've had a number of friends over the years who have been salesmen. And one of the things that they often say is, if you don't ask, the answer's always no. Have you heard that before? If you don't ask, the answer's always no. And so a good salesman realizes, I've got to make contact with my prospect. I've got to ask whether or not this is a product they want to buy. Because if you don't ask, you know what the answer is. The same thing is sometimes true in our relationship with God. Things that we worry about and are concerned about and things that bother us, you do not have because you're not talking to God about these things. You can pray for yourself and you can also pray for others. Jesus prayed about his own ministry, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, and then he started praying for his disciples, John 17, verses 10 through 26. That high priestly prayer deals with two groups, 
Jesus, and then his disciples. Paul prayed with and for the elders at Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 36. As he said, I'm going to see you never again. And they were weeping and Paul was weeping and they all fell down on their knees together and they prayed for one another. We can pray for others. We can ask God to bless other people and to strengthen them and to be with them and to help them and guide them in their lives. Paul prayed for friends like Epaphroditus who had become ill and had grown nearly close to death. The Bible says that God answered Paul's prayer and the prayers of many others on his behalf. Philippians 2, 26 and 27. Christians can pray for themselves. Christians can pray for others. Another concept worth contemplating about the power of prayer. Brothers and sisters and friends, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all kinds of turmoil, Christians can pray, the Bible teaches, during illness and adversity. We can pray. We can pray for ourselves and others, and we can pray for ourselves and others during illness and during adversity. And we have plenty of both these days, don't we? Think about this. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows what it was, but the, the Apostle Paul's response to that was to pray. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, he asked the Lord three times that the Lord would remove that thorn in the flesh. Years ago, Angie and the kids and I lived in Tanzania, East Africa for a couple of years. And do you know why malaria kills so many people in that part of the world? Malaria kills the, so many people in that part of the world because if a parent has a child who starts running a fever, that parent's first resort is to prayer. That parent's first resort is to just hope that things get better. And then the last resort, because medicine costs money, the last resort is to go to the doctor and get a prescription. Prayer ought to be our first resort because you know what? In this world, in this, this part of the country, in this part of the world, our first resort is usually, well, I'm going to call, make a doctor's appointment. I'm going to, I'm going to go and get some medicine, get a prescription. That's our first resort. And our last resort is often to invest in prayer. Paul prayed about his thorn in the flesh. David had a sick child after his sin with Bathsheba, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 through 20. And the scripture says that David fasted and prayed and would not eat while the child still lived. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray during illness and adversity, even for others. Hezekiah, as we mentioned, prayed for a longer life, 2 Kings 20 and verse 3. The disciples, Jesus told them to watch and pray during difficult, turbulent times that they would have the strength to escape from the temptations that were coming their way. You and I can pray. We should pray, especially in times of illness, in times of adversity. Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel. They were arrested without cause. They were beaten and thrown into prison. And we often make a big deal out of the fact that they were singing at midnight, Acts 16, 25. But did you know that verse also says they were praying? Paul and Silas in the stocks, in the dungeon, with their backs still bleeding from the lashes that they'd received, decided that the right thing to do was to pray and to sing praises to God. It's a Christian's first resort. It's where we go in times of distress. Paul prayed for a man named Publius's father. He was sick with a fever and dysentery. 
And Paul came to him and prayed for him. Acts 28 verse 8. We can pray during illness and adversity, the scripture teaches. In Acts 12 verse 5, Peter, the apostle, was arrested and thrown in prison. And notice what the verse says on the screen behind me. It says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Every single week, we publish as a congregation a list of people that have requested prayers. Now, now let, me, let me reemphasize that. People that have requested prayers. They're asking for people to pray for them because they believe in the power of prayer. They believe in its efficacy. They believe that something will happen, that God listens to the prayers of the righteous. They believe those things. And so they request that we pray for them. One of the best things any church could ever do is to spend time praying about things we're concerned about. Notice this verse indicates that prayer was made. Prayer was made by the church. It's important who's praying. Prayer was made unto God. It's important to whom we pray. And prayer was made specifically for Peter. He's in prison. And Father, if it's, if it's your will, we'd like for him to be released. Earnest prayer by the church for Peter. And do you know what happened there in Acts 12, verses 6 and following? God released Peter from his imprisonment. Christians can pray in times of illness, in times of adversity. I know I'm looking this morning, there are a number of you I know that have illnesses or have recently had illnesses and you have been on our prayer list. Don't try to tell these people that God doesn't answer prayer. We need to believe Christians can pray during illness and adversity. In Romans 15, 30 and 31, the apostle Paul going into a time of adversity makes this request. He says, I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And specifically what's Paul asking for that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. We can pray during illness and adversity. Number four, whenever Christians pray, they can expect an answer. In my experience dealing with this particular point, this is when all the hands go up in a Bible class. I, I got a question about that, John. Can I just kindly say, if you have questions about this, you're not paying attention, okay? If you have questions about this, Christians can ex expect an answer when they pray. You're probably not paying attention. Or you're focusing on one particular area of life and not paying attention to a lot of other things. Because God answers prayers. He answers prayers all the time. He answers prayers consistently. He answers prayers sometimes in unexpected ways, but he still answered that prayer. And maybe we just missed it because we're not paying attention but God answers prayer. And then there are some prayers that it takes a long time because God has other plans and other purposes. It takes a long time for God to answer when he finally does. But whenever Christians pray, they can expect to receive an answer. That word expect is important because listen to the teaching of scripture. James 5, 16, the passage we started with this morning, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The effective fervent prayer, another translation has, of a righteous man accomplishes much. There is great power in prayer. 
And part of our faith is believing that even though we don't know how God's going to answer, we don't know when God's going to answer, we can expect to receive an answer. In 1 Peter 3, 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. Do you believe that? Your prayers as a Christian, they reach the mind and the heart of an all-loving and an all-merciful God, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Hebrews 4.16, talking about Jesus as our high priest, makes this conclusion. It says, let us then, us Christians, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That passage informs us that when we pray, we can expect three things. We can expect grace, we can expect mercy, we can expect help. And why is that the case? Because we are praying through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. We're offering our petitions to our God and our King through our high priest, Jesus. We can expect to receive an answer. Matthew 7, Jesus said it this way. Do you believe the words of Jesus, by the way? Do you believe he knew what he was talking about when he talked about prayer? Listen to his words in Matthew 7. Ask, disciple, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Jesus says, God is eager and anxious and willing to answer the prayers of his saints. When we pray according to his will, when we ask for things that are good and noble and right, when we pray for people that we're concerned about and that we care about, we can expect to receive an answer. The answer may not be what we expected, but we can have this faith and this confidence. It's always, always for our good and for the good of his kingdom, ultimately. Romans eight twenty eight. We can expect to receive an answer. There are four pillars. By the way, our prayers, they ought to be in harmony with the promises of God. They ought to be in harmony with the things God has said he will do in this world. There are four pillars of God's promises upon which our faith and prayer rests. Watch this. God's omniscience. He knows everything he will never forget. We're praying in a very limited way. We can only see certain things, just bits and pieces, but God sees it all. He knows it all. God's omnipotence, the fact that God is able to do what he promises, is another pillar. Another pillar is God's goodness. He is infinitely good. He will not disappoint. When he makes a promise, he will not fail to keep that promise. And finally, God's integrity. He will not misrepresent himself. He will not misrepresent the matter. Having said all that, think about what it says if I don't believe that God answers prayer. If God doesn't answer prayer, if I'm not really sure that that happens, what does it say? Is it because God doesn't know? Is that my belief? Is it because I don't believe God's able to do what he's promised he will do? Is it because I don't believe that God is good? Or is it because I don't believe that God is representing the matter accurately? Because one of those four things, or maybe more, are true if I question or doubt the idea that God answers prayer. Incidentally, sometimes when God says no in a prayer, quote unquote, it's because there is a higher purpose, there's a a bigger thing involved. And I just give you this, just write it down for your own reference. 
Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8. Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8. You can look at that for homework this afternoon. But that passage says that Jesus Christ, in the days of his flesh, he offered vehement cries and prayers to God. And the Bible says he was heard. But God did not deliver him from his suffering until God's will had been fully accomplished in Christ, did he? Even Jesus, as he prayed, struggled and continued to have faith in the promises of God. Now, number five this morning, as we think about prayer, when we pray, we can expect an answer, but it will not be miraculous. Why are you saying that, John? I say that because in our times, in our day, we take that word miracle and we use it in a way that the Bible never uses it. The Bible uses the word miracle. It also uses words like signs and wonders, Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four. And it uses that word to describe something that is supernatural and extraordinary and immediately visible. And when God answers prayers today, he does not use miracles to do so. Let me establish the case for you. In response to prayer, there are two apparent ways that God answers prayer. Two apparent ways. Number one is miraculously. You could look, if you like, in your Bible at Acts 27, verses 23 and 24, when Paul was on a ship and it was in the midst of a great storm, Paul, no doubt, was praying fervently that God would deliver him and the people on the ship. And the Bible says in Acts 27, verses 23 and 24, that in response to Paul's petition, an angel appeared to Paul in a vision. An angel showed up and started talking to Paul. That's a miracle. But then later in the same account, in response to Paul's prayer, God had promised that nobody was going to be lost as long as everybody stayed together. And in Acts 27, verses 43 and 44, the ship ran aground and started to break up because the waves were so massive. They were just destroying this little wooden ship. And the Bible says that everybody made it safely to shore just as God had promised Everybody made it safely to shore by holding on to the boards and the pieces of the ship as it broke up. They were able to float into the harbor and find safe ground. That was an answer to prayer, but it was not, in that case, a miracle. God had made a promise, be faithful, stay together, and everybody will live. Those people were faithful to the promise that God had given through the mouth of his apostle Paul and providentially God saw to it that not one man was lost on that ship. Sometimes in the Bible, God answered prayers miraculously. Always today, when God answers prayer, he answers providentially. That is, he uses natural means, he uses the circumstances and the opportunities that are available in life to orchestrate and order things behind the scenes to answer our prayers. Romans 8, 28, a great passage on providence. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. There is power in prayer. It's just not miraculous power today. Very briefly, miracles have ceased. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10 Miracles were merely confirmatory. They were there to confirm the message that people in the first century and before were giving. 
before Scripture was fulfilled, before it was completed, before everything in this book was written down, miracles were necessary to confirm that what was being said was true. And miracles in the first century were only conferred by the laying on of the apostles' hands, Acts 8, 17. That is to say that if anybody had the ability to heal the sick or raise the dead, it was because an apostle had first laid his hands on them and prayed for them. Why are miracles not present today? Because those three things are true. But God does answer prayer. He does answer prayer in a providential way. And because that's true, in his providence, brothers and sisters and friends, God brings comfort to broken hearts. In his providence, God brings assurance to troubled minds. In his providence, God brings strength to weary servants. In his providence, God brings blessings to struggling souls. Prayer is believing. It is putting my confidence in an active, concrete, observable way that I believe that God loves people. I believe he loves me. And I believe that he responds when we speak to him and when we petition him and when we ask him for the things according to which he's promised when we come before him in prayer. Let's be, as the people of God, a more prayerful people. Let's remember that as weird and strange as the times we're living in are, that ultimately, ultimately, prayer moves the hand that moves all of history. And prayer will move the hand that will change our lives and the lives of those around us as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian. We'd love for you to obey the gospel this morning if you're ready to do that. Believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is who he claims. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. Repent of your sin. Confess that he is the son of God. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. And then be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. When someone is baptized, they contact the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're ready to make that commitment this morning, or if you need to respond and you just want to ask for prayers, you want to request prayers because you believe that prayer works, why not take this opportunity to let that need be known while together we stand and while we sing?